Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan. Today, we continue our series on salvation, and specifically, the last few episodes has been covering the very topic of how we are saved. We have talked about grace. Lastly, we talked about faith. And today, to top that off, we are going to be talking about what we are judged on at the end of our lives and what we are saved by, and it's love. Welcome back, friends and family. Today, in this episode, we are going to be talking about love. It is what we are judged by at the end of our life, and it is the very participation in God's very nature, which is love. And so just to give an overview of what uh, we're going to be discussing today is how we are judged at the end of our lives, and this is all coming from Scripture, and, uh, and then how we participate in God's nature, and then why love. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. And then um, we're going to have a few things uh, scattered throughout there, such as why sin is so horrible because it's contrary to love and it's contrary to what God offers us, namely himself, which is goodness, love, beauty, truth, all of itself that we cling to God himself. And then hopefully we're going to be doing some learning both on uh, from a Protestant and Catholic perspective of what both can learn because it's not a an either or thing. Well, I have love and you have the church. No. I have the church because it's a, it's a gift from God and I have to cling to it to cling to Jesus because it is his body, the fullness of him. But also, I will be judged on love, not just because I'm in it. And we're going to see some clear verses uh, in the, throughout the Gospels of that in this earthly kingdom, the kingdom of heaven here on earth in the church, which is a visible church that Jesus established, there will be weeds and wheats and both of them will, will grow up together in the kingdom. Uh, but at the end of time, the weeds the weeds will be taken out among the wheats. The the wolves will be separated. The goats will be separated from the sheep of Jesus Christ. And that will be based on what we do, how we love. And so, uh, and then, so we're going to get started here in a second, but just so you know, um, I go through, uh, through the episode, I just d- pull out some brief examples of how we are judged here and uh, th- from scripture, from Jesus, Paul, the epistles and the revelation, but also to note, this will be broken up into three parts. The first two parts will be based on like what we talked about an overview of love, how we're participating in God's nature and why love and uh, send in, in that context and then some takeaways. But there will be a third part where I basically go through the entire New Testament in totality, just to see, show you how profound um, and how, uh, massive it is that Jesus is very, very, very clear on what we are judged by. So if you go towards the end of this, you can hear all of that. But for now, I just want to pull out uh, a few scripture verses to start this episode on how we are loved when it is, and we are judged by what we do. So um, in each instance where Jesus talks about uh, being judged, where each, each instance that Paul talks about being judged, um, it is based on what we are doing. And then we're going to, I want to propose that we change the language and not say, well, we're judged based on faith and works. No, we're, we're, ba- we're, we're judged based on love, faith and love, because we're going to see in a second that it, we're judged based on what we do, but also it's not merely what we do, it's how we do it. And it always has to be led with love. So if you go to the gospel of Matthew, there are Quite a few, the Gospel of Matthew specifically out of all the Gospels is by far the most clear on what we are judged by. Such as in Matthew 12 through 37, Jesus says, On the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So one by your words, but also by your actions. Because then later in 12, in Matthew 12, 50, he says, 
it's he who does the will of his father in heaven is his siblings, right? So we are spiritual brothers and sisters to Jesus because of we doing us doing the will of the father. And then Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower, parable of the weeds, parable uh, of the weeds explained. And um, by the way, all these are explained a lot in detail and we even go all the way back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. But these, again, these are just uh, pulling out um, key pieces of this. So, and at the end of that Matthew of Matthew 13, where he's talking about the parable of the weeds explained, he says, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all evil doers and throw them into the furnace of fire where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Matthew 16, 27, the son of man is to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay every man for what he has done. And then going to Matthew 24 through 25, that is really uh, the culmination of Jesus's teachings about how we are judged. But let's go all the way to, and this is a lot about being a good and faithful steward of our gifts that we've been given by God himself. It's his grace, it's his gifts that he gives us, and it's how we do it to earn interest, to return an investment to our master, to um, to be good, wise, and faithful uh, servants. And that's the whole thing. And then like in Matthew um, 25, wise and foolish maidens, uh, the verses 1 through 13, for example, he's talking about how five maidens were, were wise and had oil and they were ready. And then five foolish ones who had the lamp, they had the gift, but they didn't have it filled with oil. And then the ones with the oil said, I can't give you go and buy yourself the the oil for yourself because guess what? A relationship, love of God cannot be bought off of others. We have to have it ourselves. And then in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, it's the parable of the talents on how we are judged based on what we give back from the talents that God has given us. And then the most clear, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where it's the judgment of the nations where Jesus says, the son of man will come and separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep on his right hand side, Jesus will say to come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will ask him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, give, see you thirsty? Did we see you as a stranger? When did we see you naked? When did we see you sick or in prison? And Jesus will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Then he will say to those at his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So that gets no more clear than that. And in, again, and if you just go through the Gospels of Matthew uh, and, and Mark 12, 28 through 34, again, it's the first and greatest commandment is loving God and loving neighbor. And Luke, he's talk, he talks about a lot of parables of being good and faithful stewards. 
such as in Luke 8, 9 through 15, he has he talks about the parable of the sower again. In Luke 20, 10, 25 through 28, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's the teacher who comes up to him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And again, Jesus' answer is, your, the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then... He has a lot of parables of, uh, in Luke eleven twenty eight. he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And then he talks about the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, and then further in that same chapter, faithful and unfaithful servants. And that's actually the most clear teaching on hell, purgatory, and heaven, and those uh, judgments based on what we have done. And that's going to be it for another episode, probably the next episode. And then, Luke, and then in Luke 13, it's talking about the narrow door. door. Luke 14, 14, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then again, Luke 14, 33, whoever of, of you does not renounce all that he has or bears his own cross and does not come after me cannot be my disciple. And then in Luke 19, it's the parable of the 10 pounds. And then in Luke 20, it is the parable of the wicked servant. And then hopping the gospel of John really quick. Got John 5, 29, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. John 13, 35, men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then jumping all the way to Revelation. he In Revelation chapters 2 through 3, it's the seven letters from Jesus himself to John to write to the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, and Phil- Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so, in each of these, he's talking about them, him, them being judged based on what they are doing. So, for example, to Ephesus, he says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. To the, to the church in Smyrna, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And then to the church at Pergamum, I'm probably butchering that, but he warns against practicing immorality and following teachings of non-apostles. He references the Nicolaitans, and he's actually referenced as a deacon. He's the last uh, of the seven deacons uh, listed in Acts, and he actually started a heresy. And so Jesus warns against following any non-apostles teachings. So need to cling to the church, right? And he tells them to repent. And then the message to Thyatira, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your work deserves. He who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over the nations. The message uh, to the church in Sardis, I know your works. You have the name of being alive and you are dead. Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the, the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep that and repent. In Philadelphia, he says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So this is the only like good one that he has to the seven of the churches. But then Laodicea, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Because you are lukewarm then and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. So be zealous and repent. 
So stop being cold. Stop being lukewarm. Be hot on fire with God's love. Be uh, zealous and repenting. And then all the way to Revelation twenty two twelve, when Jesus is talking about him as the bridegroom coming. And he says, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense to repay everyone for what he has done. So it is very clear all through uh, the Gospels and in Revelation, Jesus is very clear on what. And that he's going to be the one that is going to be, he is the test uh, greater, so to speak. And he gives us the answers. We are based, we're going to be judged based on what we do. And now just hearing from St. Paul and all the other uh, apostles, you just hear exactly them, the apostles being faithful to what Jesus said. They're just, re, they're just resharing what Jesus has shared about judgment. In Romans 2, uh, 5 through 11, St. Paul talks about judgment. God will render to every man according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are factious and do not obey the truth but obey wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. And later on, Romans fourteen twelve, he says, Each of us shall give account of God, of himself, to God. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. Talking about here on this on this world. And uh, and then in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, he says, Their end will correspond to their deeds. He's talking about those who proclaim to be apostles but are not apostles. And then in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So cling to Jesus in love and in good works. And then we go to Galatians 5, 6. This is kind of the culmination of how the Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Christ and we don't have to keep to this to this law written, this written law, but we are in the spirit, the law of Christ. And so Galatians 5, 6, it says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And then later in Galatians 6, 7-9, he says, Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will also from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And there are a ton others that we could go through, and we're going to go through it at the end of this episode. So you're going to hear the music and everything like it's closed out, but then we'll continue going on uh, through all of the, basically the entire New Testament. But um, that should be enough just showing that Jesus and the apostles all agree, Jesus and Paul agree that what we are going to be judged on is what we do. But it's not merely what we do, right? So the greatest commandments is love. The greatest commandments are love God with your whole heart, mind, strength, everything that you have. And the second is like it neighbors yourself. And then then Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love others as I have loved you. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. So are we? can we say with St. Paul that we have become all things to all men so that we may save some, that we have been crucified with Christ and us to the world, right? So being crucified, that perfect love, that was crucified, that we would die in truth and love for our brothers and sisters to give them life. And we've already heard from Jesus himself how love fulfills the law and the prophets and everything is fulfilled by love. And St. Paul says the same thing. Romans 13, 8 through 10, he says and at the, at the end of that, he says, uh, 
the entire commandments are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Again, in Galatians 5.14, St. Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then we hear again from St. Paul in Colossians 3.12-14. And he starts with this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Then this is it. Over all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then in James 2.8, James says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. And so we see clearly that love is what fulfills everything. Again, go back to Colossians. He lists, St. Paul lists off all those things, kindness, patience, forgiveness, all those things. Those flow from love. The spirit, the 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 fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, generosity, modesty, long-suffering, chastity, goodness, and self-control. All of those things are indicators that you are perfectly loving. If you are not perfect in patience, if you are not perfect in loving, being long-suffering, being charitable, being kind, being gentle, being consoling, all of those great things, then it just shows us that we're not loving perfectly. Love fulfills all things and love is an action. Love is an action. So Jesus says, you are my disciples if you do what I command you. And then First John says, loving God means keeping his commandments. What is the number one commandment that Jesus has? Love one another as I have loved you. And above that is obviously love God with your whole heart. So love is an action and love was crucified on the cross for us. Love is an action. So when we hear this, it sounds like, It's a lot of what we do is what we're going to be judged on. And that is true. But it's not merely what we are going to do. It's also with the love with which we did it. In Matthew 7, he even talks about being aware of self-deception to think that what you're doing is making you worthy of the kingdom. And it's based on what you're, what, by how you do it, right? So he says right here in Matthew 7, and again, this is almost the culmination of the entire first uh, dialogue or discourse of Jesus' sayings, Matthew 5, that's the, um, you know, the Beatitudes, and he's talking about all these things in order for, for the kingdom of heaven and to truly be godlike. And then at the culmination of it, it's concerning self-deception. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. So they're saying, they're thinking that they are going to be, they're going to be judged and they're going to be justified based on just what they're doing. And those are the works of the Lord. Those are awesome things. But did they do it with love? And he says, no, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is right in the middle of the entire St. Paul's discourse on the charismatic gifts prophesy, healing, mighty deeds, um, discernment of spirits, mighty tongues, interpretation of tongues. 
administration and assistance, all those incredible things. He even talks about faith as a charism, to move mountains. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. He says, he says, starting in chapter 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of, and of angels, but not to have love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and by the way, prof- prophecy is like the one thing that St. Paul tells us to, to go after, to seek after, especially prophesy. But he says, even if we have that and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, even if you have all faith so as to move to remove mountains, which Jesus talks about, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move, and it'll move. And St. Paul is talking about that. If you have all faith to even do that, but not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. So, Then he goes on to describe how about love is patient, love is kind, all those beautiful things that we typically hear at a wedding. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So he's talking about right there. That's the furthest thing away you could ever get from faith alone or uh, works or anything like that. It's based on love. And those were great works. Prophesy, healing, all those things. And even talked about martyrdom, to give your body to be burned. Talks about martyrdom. But if you have not love, you are nothing. We are nothing without love. So yes, it's going to be based on what we do, but it's also going to be based on our motivation, our intention to work in the in the kingdom, in the spirits, in the gifts, and all those things. Those are beautiful things. And the fruits, though, are benchmarks to, ta- to see, are we truly loving? We're not perfected in love. And that cannot come from our own exertion, right? So Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. And Jesus says that with men, to be saved, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. And so it's grace. And this is what it's all about. So now I want to transition from what we're going to be judged, which is based on what we do and how we love. But it's also, um, we can't do it on our own. We're nothing without God. And this is the beautiful thing of what grace is. We talked about grace. What is my definition of grace is always to participate in God's life. And then we talked about how if you are looking at, uh, if we're, if we're participating in goodness, beauty, or truth, we know that we're participating in the, in, in grace because God is goodness itself, beauty itself, and truth itself. But all those things actually proceed, actually follow from love. God is ultimately love. And that is the great revelation of Jesus crucified. Jesus in the flesh as the divine person became flesh for the sake of the world to bring us into the very divine life, right? So St. Peter talks about Second Peter that we'd become partakers of the divine nature. And what is the divine nature? In First John, we know from the revealed revelation of Jesus Christ and him crucified that God is love. A communion of persons, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, pouring themselves out in love for one another and adoration of one another. And so what we see Jesus crucified, we see love poured out for us in, in, human, in human flesh, but it's really divine love um, that's been doing that for all of eternity, pouring themselves out for each other and holding nothing back. So we are saved by this great love and called to participate in that love. And so love, all things flow from the essence of God. And what did we just say? God is love. So even patience, gentleness, forgiveness, even all those great things that God is, but it comes from love. <laughs> who he is in essence. So we're saved by love and we're judged by that love to participate in that love. So 
Um, and this is why love is so great. And this is why St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that faith, lo, lo, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of is love. Why? Because love is the very essence of God for one. And two, he's calling us to live in that. And that's how we're going to be judged. And But why? Faith is for the, we hope for the things unseen. So once we get to heaven, we won't need faith because we're going to see what we've been not been able to see. We don't need hope anymore because we no longer need the hope because we, now we possess the thing that we hope for, which is God himself. But love, we can participate it here on earth and we're called to manifest it here on earth to our brothers and sisters, right? That second commandment to love God and to love others um, as uh, Christ loves them, to die for them. And then for all eternity, we're going to be in that love. Love is for eternity. Love is eternity because love is God and God is eternity. <laughs> so, so it's all love. So we're saved by love. So the whole, the whole revelation of God, the whole gospel is God calling us into adopted sonship to participate in that unique eternal sonship of Christ. So what is what Christ is by nature, we become by grace, right? So by God's willingness, him dying on a cross and giving us the spirit, his spirit, the spirit of God, which is the, the spirit of love poured into our hearts. We receive that love and we're transformed by it to, to go from glory to glory and that image being remade new in the image of Christ to look more like a son. And what is eternal sonship? It's receiving so first and foremost, it's receiving love, right? So we need to be able to receive love to participate in the Trinity and he pours it on out over us. So it's not just merely me doing all these things. No, it's not that. We love because God loved us, First John says. And I just love the first letter of John because this is truly the most beautiful expression of how God's love comes into us and then how we participate in God's love. And so he even says in uh, chapter three, he says, do not wonder, brethren, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. He who does not love remains in death. So he who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then elsewhere in 1 John, uh, John talks about how this is how we know God abides in us, that we love. If we ha- if he even says, if we do not, how can we love the God we can't see if we can't even love the brother that we do see? And he who says that he loves God but then hates his brother is a liar. So it's all about love uh, and Jesus's heart and and the heart of the apostles, right? And so how do we receive that love? It's through the church that God gave us as a gift. Jesus, God himself did not have to become flesh in order to forgive us, but he came and entered into our suffering, our misery, into this beautiful love story that he's been wooing our hearts. And this is the bridegroom, Jesus, fulfilling and wooing his bride, the church, into that divine love, into that divine, uh, read the song of songs. It's so like, it's so intimate of God's burning love for his people. And this is what he's been calling us to from the very beginning of Adam through uh, Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through the law, through David, the king, through through all of those things. Jesus fulfills that all because he is fulfilling love. He's been showing and wooing his people Israel into the new Israel of God's sacred people of the church. And the sacraments are God's love to us. 
God's Saint in Romans is Saint uh, Paul talks about how God's love has been poured into our hearts, and that pouring is a reference to baptism through the Holy Spirit. And then the Eucharist, it's called the Agape Feast. The Church herself resides in love, and so uh, and and so the Eucharist is love itself. It is the heart of God. Literally, it is the heart of God. Jesus said, "This is my body." And when there's been Eucharistic miracles, they find that it's from a 33-year-old man that's still alive, but but suffered horribly, which is again a reference that goes directly back to Jesus Himself. And in Revelation, it shows a lamb as if slain, but he is alive. And he is risen. He is glorified. So he's received Jesus' risen, uh, glorified body. And yet he's a lamb as if slain, but he's still alive. And the, these Eucharistic miracles, but it's as from the myocardial, which is the very heart tissue that pumps blood in the heart. So literally when the Eucharistic minister, when the priest holds up the Eucharist and he says, the body of Christ, he is literally saying the heart of God. <laughs> literally, we are receiving Jesus' very heart, which is consumed by his divine heart, his divine love for his people. So when we are created out of love, he, the very love of God created us. The very love of God gave us the revelation through, the, through Adam, Noah, the, the Abraham, Moses, the law, the prophets. All of those things were leading up to the fulfillment of fullness of God's revelation in his son that he sent his only begotten son that he would die for us on a cross. And then he would give himself. In Hebrews, it talks about how the curtain has been torn, but the curtain is, is Jesus' flesh that we have access to God. And it's through that Eucharist. So it's the very love of God in the sacraments, in the Eucharist, in baptism, the, the Holy Spirit, the God, the God has poured his love into our hearts. And in confession, he forgives us by his love. That's what his whole mission was to come to do, was to forgive and to restore and to redeem and to glorify his people in himself, to forgive us. So he gave that sacrament so that we would hear, that we would cleanse our hearts, that we'd be purified by the bridegroom that is gazing upon us in his love, that we would be completely purified, that we would examine our consciences so that we'd be more filled with the love of God, the spirit of God, and to not, and to put off the works of the flesh, to live in the spirit of God, that love of God, that third person of the Trinity that has been poured out into our hearts to continue walking and growing from glory to glory in the image of Christ to be renewed in his spirit, renewed in our minds to put on the mind of Christ. And that is why we are strengthened in the sacrament of confirmation through, and that is every single time you hear about in all the acts of the apostles through the laying on of hands and they receive the Holy Spirit. That is confirmation. Through the laying on of hands, we receive the Holy Spirit to enkindle in us that very love of God. And then the sacraments of anointing of the sick. Jesus, as the that good shepherd, he comes to heal. He came to the sick, to the broken, to the lepers, to those who are limping, those who he came and loved us. It's God's love that transforms us. So it's the sacraments that we receive. That is how we receive the love of God. That is how we know God loves us. God came and in the flesh and he continues that incarnation, that mystery, God becoming one of us. He continues that ministry as our flesh now in the ascension is at the right hand of God and he through his church is still present to us. He is in heaven glorified and yet he's near to us and he can say to Paul, why do you, why do you persecute me when he's persecuting the church? So it is the very love of God in the church, the very the gift that he gave us, and that is how we participate in God's love is most specifically in the Eucharist, but in all the churches and all, in, in all the sacraments of the church and in the very life of the church uh, that participates in God's love. It's the bridegroom Jesus pouring himself out fully for his beloved. 
the church, his bride. And this is when he says, this is my body. This is bridegroom language. This is him giving of, of himself fully to his beloved. And when you give your entire self to somebody in that free, faithful, total commitment and fruitful love, your entire self, you're giving them your heart. And that's what Christ is doing here. He gives us him enti- his entire self to his church because he's giving us his heart and we receive the very heart of God in that marriage supper of the lamb with our bridegroom, Jesus. And so just to keep going on that Eucharistic image of the heart of God, when I was, I, when I felt like the Lord showed that to me, I'm just like, whoa, the heart of God. When I, someone, when that priest says the body of Christ and I say, amen, I'm saying amen to the, to the heart of God that I'm receiving. And when I was thinking about this, uh, this past Saturday, St. Therese, when she was seeking her vocation, she was so anxious because she was like trying to figure out where does she fit in the body of Christ? She was seeking her vocation in the church. And then she was, all of a sudden she had a revelation from the Lord. If the church is a body, then the body, then the church has a heart. And therefore my vocation is to love from the very heart of the church. My vocation is to love. So it's the heart of God, the Eucharist, and call and which is the center of the church, the, which is the su- the source and the summit, the head and the center of the church is the Eucharistic Jesus, love Himself. It is Jesus, and Christianity isn't like any other religion because all other religions of the world claims that their way of life is actually a way of doing things to to gain insight or peace or any of those things. But Christianity is the religion revealed by God Himself. That sonship in the eternal son is the way. And it's not something that we merely do's and don't. It's it's the how-to. It's doing any everything in love, doing everything in love. And that is what St. Paul urges us to do. Do everything for the glory of Christ. Do everything in the love of God. And so it is the way of life. And so ours too, just like St. Therese, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we could possibly be doing, no matter state of vocation that we're in, your Our mission as the church is to love. The very heart of the church, the very heart of the gospel is love, and love is an action. So to be saved is to love God and neighbor with our whole heart, which comes from that grace itself, to live in that divine sonship and to participate in God's very life of love. And this is how, from a biblical perspective in 1 John, this is how you know if you're abiding in God or if God is abiding in you, and it's if you're loving and if it's if it's if you're loving and then you mark your love the benchmark of love is Jesus Jesus crucified for his people and so to grow in that love is to have self-awareness but it's not an internal uh look at me 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 and be so focused on yourself no what i found is actually i'm least self-aware when i am least Focus on the presence of Jesus in my life when i am so in tune with the lord when i am intentionally making a decision first thing in the morning to dialogue with Jesus and invite him into everything, my examination of consciousness, my self-awareness increases infinitely (laughs) because now I am benchmarking my life based on love itself, Christ gazing at me with his love, that bridegroom. And this is that purifying love. He burns away all our iniquities and we become that light that he calls us to, to, to be when in his light, we see light, the Psalm says, right? And so when I'm gazing at light itself, Jesus Christ, and I'm constantly die and seeking his face, I'm constantly dialoguing. Then my examination of consciousness are way deeper and way more clear. And I'm not, my, my heart is at peace because 
I understand where I am in relation. And this is, goes back to God himself revealing himself as the bridegroom and Israel, the, the, the bride. From the very beginning, you go all the way back to Genesis, when Adam, was the, he named all the animals, but he did not name or identify himself until he saw his other. He saw a woman and he said, finally, I am man. You are woman, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So in seeing his bride, he saw himself. And now it's reversed as Jesus is the new Adam. He is the true bridegroom and we are Israel, the church. When we identify Jesus, we actually identify ourselves. I finally have found my life because in Jesus, I have found him. So when he says those who will find their life will lose it and those who will lose their life for the sake of him will find life. I have fully like experience it and I want to live that and we all need to live that is that when we lose our life and we find life itself in Jesus, in Jesus, we all of a sudden find more of who we are. <laughs> it's seeing that true bridegroom who reveals himself and reveals ourselves to his, his lover. We are his lover. And so it is in that relationship that we are able to benchmark ourselves like Jesus, I know you died for me. Am I living that way? And always having that dialogue of, am I living in the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the charisms of the Spirit? But all of that has to be grounded in love. And do I look more like Jesus, who humbled himself even to death on a cross for his people? Am I doing that? Then I know I'm not perfected in love. And I know I'm not doing that. And I know I'm not perfected in love and God is calling me to more. But I know even when we say, I know I'm not doing that, we can never be discouraged. That is from the devil. That is contrary to love. Love is encouraging. Love builds up, right? And this is what St. Paul says about the, the charisms. It's from the heart of God, love. He encourages us because we can't do it on our own. It's only God himself in us. It's a more of a surrender. It's to be poor in spirit like the Beatitudes. And poor in spirit, I have realized, is meaning that I don't come with my own spirit. I come with nothing to God. God, I can do nothing without you to be a child. And so to receive his love, to receive his strength, to receive his wisdom, which is Christ crucified. And so marking myself with the benchmark of Jesus. 